Uh, tonight we're back in the Psalms. Uh, we're in uh, Psalm 69. Um, now this psalm is a uh, uh, it's a cry out to God. We see, you know, when you think about the psalms and you think about them singing and praying them, you know, usually when we think about singing, you know, a lot of times we think about singing praises and how it makes us feel, it can uplift us, it can build us up. But sometimes we just need, we just need a time to cry out to God, don't we? We just need a time to express our feelings. We need a time to express what we're feeling in that moment. You know, it's almost like Job. As Job got out his, uh, I don't know if grievances is the right word, but expressed all the feelings that he had, sometimes we just need to tell God that. And sometimes we just need to feel bad for a little while. This is what I, I see in this psalm, at least the most part of this psalm, is David just crying out to God in a very distressed frame of mind and a distressed state. Uh, now, when you think about this psalm, uh, you think about uh, the prophecies that are in it, the uh, Messianic psalm, and there is a lot of debate over some will say that this psalm has absolutely nothing to do with David, that it all has all to do with, with Christ. Um, I, I don't myself find that true. I think there's a lot, certainly, that refers to Christ and, and goes farther than what David is. But I think there are parts of it that actually talk about David based on some of the things that he says. But we'll get into that as we go through this psalm. But I just see it as a time of David crying out to God and, and just in distress of what he's facing. And, and I think a lot of us can relate uh, to some of these things. And this psalm, possibly this one, uh, maybe one more is quoted more than any other psalms in the New Testament. Uh, and we'll see that as we go through this. But notice as we start here in verses 1 through 3, how he seems to be just drowning in trouble. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. So he says here in the very beginning, save me, O God. David, many times in his life, uh, prayer was needed. David needed to pray. Uh, he needed that solitude. He needed that time to uh, express his need to God. And he felt... Uh, that he was about to drown. The waters, he says, it came upon up to his neck. Uh, when you think about this, you think about what he's struggling with. There's times when we feel like that. We, we feel overrushed with water, like a flood is coming, like some problem has come on us just so quickly, we, we, we don't know how to deal with it. And then there's sometimes that the trouble just comes and it just seems like it keeps building up, building up, building up until it feels like it's up to our neck and we're about to drown. I think David is describing both of those here, how troubles come and how we can feel in those troubles. It reminds me of Matthew 14 and 30. Remember when uh, it says, But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Remember Peter? When he was walking in the water, he got to see in the wind, or feeling the wind and seeing the storm and the waves. And he got to sink in that anxiety and that fear, didn't he? 
That's how David felt. Uh, David felt that, that his troubles and, and possibly, and it seems very likely from the things that David said, this was another time that he wrote this in, in that time period when he was running for his life from Saul. Because there's a lot of references here of the distress because of that. So David, I mean, it just seemed like everywhere he turned, people were against him. People were, were uh, uh, slandering him. They were making threats to him. And I think David is just at the point where he just feels so overwhelmed, he don't know anything else to do but cry to God. And I think we can, you know, I, I, not to the extent David does, but I can relate to this a lot. You know, sometimes we let the anxiety of things around us that just keeps building up and building up, and we just think, okay, it's just too much for me to handle. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know uh, uh, how I'm going to get through this. And maybe that was part of this. Maybe that was part of, of David being prepared to do the things that he was doing was the distress that he was going through. Maybe building his character, building his, his dependence upon God. There, there's a lot of things. We don't know the blessings that can come from the suffering that we face uh, until we go through it, until we get through it, and can look back on those things. You know, we've been talking, you know, every other Wednesday night on living in this dark world. Peter addresses this a lot when he talks about suffering without a cause. Suffering for the cause of Christ. Suffering, in other words, not for something that we're doing ourselves. And a lot of this, that's what David is talking about. You know, he, he got these people that are making charges against him, threat against him uh, uh, for no reason. You know, he's running for his life. And the only reason these people hate him is because Saul hates him. Saul is after him. Saul has got where he detests everything that David's about because of David's devotion for God in a lot of things, as we're going to see here. And for some people, that's all it takes is, okay, if Saul's against him, then I'm going to be against him. And before you know it, Saul can have a, a band of individuals that are struggling, that are against David. And that's what he's feeling here. He says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. He says, I sink in deep mire. There's other Psalms. Remember Psalms 40? I think I gave him that, uh, Kevin. Psalms 40 and verse 2, he said, He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the mire clay, set my feet upon the rock, and established my steps. There's many times where David is praising God. Okay, you brought me out of the mire. You put me on this rock. And David praises that rock. He praises that sure foundation. But here, he's not doing that. Here, he's saying... I'm, I'm marred up in this mire. I, I, I got the floodwaters on me. It's up to my neck. I, I'm struggling here. It's like I can't, you know, I, I can't stand. But he goes a little farther, and as he's talking about this, he, he's realizing that uh, I think he's seeing his dependence upon God. And, and to me, that's some of the greatest blessings that can be in our trials is our dependence upon God. Because there's some, there's something, is there anybody here, David's going to talk about, he, he, he wants pity from people, he wants uh, uh, comfort from people, but there's no one to do that. Is there anybody that can relate to what David's going through that he could talk to? They could say, boy, I really understand what you're going through. I was in the same situation. Here's what you, who can David talk to here? 
Who can he confide in? Who can he trust in? Who can he express his feelings to that's going to understand, that's going to make a difference in David's life? He can't find that. That's, that's not here. So who else can he turn to? I think many times we need to, if we put this in our own selves, we need to get to that point to where we have to understand our total dependence upon God. God is the one that we can turn to. And God is the one that we should uh, always turn to. Now we can picture uh, this if you want to, even in this part uh, of applying this to Jesus, we can see him in some ways getting into that point, that distress that he's going through from the human side of what he's having to face, of what he's having to go, going to have to go through uh, suffering for the sins of the world. In Matthew 26 and 37, says he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Why was Jesus distressed? He was the Son of God. Why, why, did he, why would he possibly have sorrow and deep distress? Couldn't he overcome that? What was his sorrow for? What was his distress for? Yeah, the pain that he was going to have to go through, the reason he would have to go through it. You think about his sorrow, I think it was a two-sided thing. One, it was the pain and the suffering that he physically was going to have to go through, but also I think it was the reason he was going to have to go through it, the pain and suffering of the sins of the world, that he was going to have to endure that because of that. Just the, the, the pitiful shape the world was in, he was sorrowful for us, wasn't he? You know, he, he, he looked upon us, had compassion. He's willing to die for us. But the distress that's involved with that, he went to his father many times in prayer, in distress, in sorrow. Remember, there's times that he, he was like sweats of drops of blood. He, he was in so much distress and so intense in his prayer. Because the father is the only one that can understand what he's about to go through. The only one can know the pain and sorrow that he's going to have to face. Jesus, in many times, would tell at least bits and pieces of it at times to the disciples. Could they understand what he was going to have to go through? Could they understand the, the full reason behind it? So we can get into those situations where we've got to realize, one, how important it is to pray to God that we have that avenue, that spiritual blessing that's in Christ, that we can approach him because of those distresses that I can approach him, that I can talk to him, I can express uh, that sorrow that I feel and that distress that I feel. And I think that's what we're seeing here uh, when it comes to uh, David. Uh, Spurgeon describes several kinds of deep mire that the believers may sink into. He, he described it as this. We, we may be in the deep mire of unbelief, the deep mire of trial and difficulty, the deep mire of inward corruption, the deep mire of the devil's temptation and oppresses. You know, we can get into this state where we feel ourselves just so overwhelmed. And it may be because uh, we may not be at the full place of, of belief that we need to be. It may be that uh, we're going through some trial or difficulty that we just don't think we can overcome. 
It could be something that uh, we struggle within ourselves, that we're trying to overcome with, with that battle. You know, Paul described this battle many times when he says, there, there's things that I, I should do that I'm not doing. There's things that I shouldn't do that I am doing. And that he always struggles between the, the flesh and the spirit. He says, you know, but we walk, we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. And there's that constant battle. Peter talked about that, about how uh, uh, we should put aside these and fight against these fleshly desires that we have. These desires to maybe be like everybody else, to do like everybody else. And there's that constant battle uh, because we don't fit in. And we want to fit in, but we, we need to realize that we, we shouldn't want to fit in. And we struggle with that. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. But notice what else. He says, I'm weary with my crying and my throat is dry. David was worn out with all the energy spent and his crying, and his crying out as he waited on God to rescue him. He says he did this so much that his throat was dry. You know, how often, which do you think is more uh, uh, likely today, that our throat gets dry because we just talk so much about just frivolous things, or because we're crying out to God so much? I think mine might be because I run my mouth too much about just general stuff and 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 our throat gets dry because of david is saying here this is how intense this is for him he says i'm I'm crying out to god so much that that my throat uh is dry he says i'm just it's even affecting him physically because of how he's crying out to god then notice here in verse four he describes the problem that he's facing and the reason that he's crying out to god those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs on my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Those, notice, he says, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs on my head. This begins, I think, a description of the real problem that, that David is, I guess, poetically here, um, uh, putting into view for us. Uh, now, he lived under great distress of knowing there were many people who simply hated him without a cause. Um, many hated him just because Saul did. Many hated him. Many got on that bandwagon. Uh, uh, mighty individuals, including Saul, that uh, was very distressful for David because they were in a position where they could really hurt David if they ever got to him or got in that opportunity uh, where they could, and, and it distressed him. Uh, he says, "There's those who hate me are more than the hairs on my head. That's how distressful he's feeling here. Uh, he says, I can't even count uh, the people that are against me now. I can't even count the people who are wrongfully against me. Now, it's one thing to have someone against you with a cause. It's another thing to have someone against you without a cause. Uh, that can even be more distressful, can it? Because you're not only dealing with uh, the individual because they're, they're acting a certain way towards you, but you're dealing with the fact of trying to figure out and trying to rationalize why they're doing it in the first place. And it comes down to, and that's again, uh, Peter discussed this, didn't he? Uh, in First Peter, when he discussed about suffering and suffering without a cause. In other words, 
we're, we're, we're to suffer. We need to prepare to suffer. We need to have the mind to suffer, as Peter says. But we need to make sure that we're suffering for the right reasons. And that right reason may be very well what David's going through here is because of my devotion to God. Now, I can suffer because of my own wrongdoing. And David even admits and even talks about how his sins and the things are before God. They're not hidden. But suffering because I'm serving God is part of what we're supposed to do. Uh, and we need to be able to distinguish that fact. There's times that I suffer from my own wrongdoing, but there's times I suffer because I'm doing what's right uh, also. Uh, now, when it comes to uh, uh, Psalm 69 and verse 4, uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples the night before his crucifixion, and he said this in John 15 and 25. He says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, when you think about the ones who hated Jesus, who were they? Pharisees, uh, Sadducees, the Herodians. You, you start making this list. And what was the reason that they hated him? Was it a wrongful reason? Yeah. Think of, you know, to me, I, I think of the, the main reason, until Jesus stood beside these individuals, they probably looked pretty good to everybody, didn't they? Then when you compare who Jesus was and how he lived and how he taught and the things that he said and how he treated individuals, him standing beside them, how'd that make them look? Did they treat people that way? Did they talk that way? Were they righteous as Jesus was righteous? Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs, wasn't he? Full of dead man's bones. They honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. So with Jesus being there with them, the world could see that. They didn't like that. So they started wrongfully accusing him of everything that they could think of. So when you think of this, as, as Jesus quoted this here in John 15, he says, they hated me without a cause. And what he's telling his disciples because they did that, they're going to hate you the same way. The same thing applies to us today. They're going to hate us without a cause. Just, again, look at the world today. When you stand for the truth, they're going to slander. They're going to make us the bad guy, aren't they? They're going to make us to look like we're the fools. They're going to try to make us look like we're the ones that are just uh, 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 crazy people over here that don't see things the right way. That's what they did to Jesus. That's what David is talking about here. You know, there, he said, there's, there's individuals that, that hate me, and they, they shouldn't have any reason to hate me. And why did they hate David? They hated David because Saul did. So they're going to get on the bandwagon him. Pe people do that. People follow the multitude. You know, I mean, think about this. If, if you didn't know somebody, and, and you come across somebody who was explaining this person to you before they, they met them, your first impression of them is going to be what that person says about them, aren't they? I mean, that's, that's how it's going to be. You're, you're going to take what they say, and you're going to have that in your mind when you come across this individual. I think that's what, in essence, happened to David, is because of Saul uh, and, and his, his uh, just uh, anger against David, 
It caused other people to do the same thing just based because it was Saul. And it may be because they feared Saul. <laughs> I mean, they want to take, uh, they seen what happened to some of the high priests. They seen what happened to individuals who befriended David and helped him. They seen the slaughter of that. So it may be just out of fear, too. They have to, they have to hate David just to save their own life or to make themselves feel better or look better. And that's how the world does that many times. David said, they are mighty who would destroy me. Again, uh, those set on David's destruction were mighty, and they could make things happen if they, they got a hold of David. Um, and, and that's what David was distressed about. And then he says, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. The fundamental injustice of David's misery here uh, I think that increased his, his despair and his distress is, okay, I, there, there's really nothing I can do that's going to appease these individuals. I mean, if somebody, just think about it. When you start feeling a certain way about someone, it's pretty hard to change that, isn't it? No matter, no matter what they do, you're going to see a, a different side of that. And it, it is hard to overcome that. It's hard to overcome that, that kind of impression, and I think that that's what David here is dealing with. Uh, now, uh, someone said this, and, and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was worth just saying here. said, so David could only imperfectly say, I have stolen nothing. But his greater son could say it in a remarkable way. And they said this, The devil tried to take what was not his, God's honor and glory. Adam took what was not his, the forbidden fruit to him. Moses took what was not lawful, lawful for him to take, the life of an Egyptian. David took what was not his, Bathsheba. Uh, yet Jesus refused to take what was rightfully his. He did not consider it robbery to be equal God, Philippians 2, 6. Choosing to set aside divine privilege that were rightfully his. For this, Jesus was condemned by humanity. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And I thought about that as I read this. I forgot who it was actually uh, put this in this form. Uh, but you, you think about what Jesus gave up and, and what he did to uh, uh, come here. It wasn't because of anything that he did. He, he, could have, uh, he, he had the very right to those privileges, but what did he do? He gave them up to come here for a purpose, for a reason. And, and to die wrongfully, to be accused wrongfully, to be treated bad wrongfully. But he chose to do that, uh, doing absolutely nothing wrong to deserve that. And, and you start putting this in, uh, I mean, if we think of just in our own terms of the distress that we go through because of what we face wrongfully today, you, you, you apply that to Jesus and it starts painting this picture of what he truly did for us, doesn't it? Uh, of, of what he truly put himself through. You know, that word became flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory, John uh, 1 and 14. So he, as he experienced those things, the things that he gave up and the things that he went through here on this earth, it, it, you know, a lot of times we just picture the cross, which was horrific, but you start picturing everything that he went through that even led to the cross, um, it, it was, I mean, just emotionally distressing, wouldn't it? Not just physically. He, I mean, that's why I think he did go to his God so much, his Father so much in, in prayer. He needed that strength. He needed that, uh, 
that, that boost to be able to physically carry on and do the things that he did. So he could be able to face it and facing it for something he didn't do wrong at all. But yet he went through it. Uh, now he goes a little farther here and he talks about living with a constant uh, distress and disapproval uh, of, of the individuals that's around him. Look here starting in verse 5. He says, O oh God, you know my foolishness. My sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me. O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, they became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who said in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. So notice he says here first, You know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Um, this is where I have difficulty thinking that this whole psalm applies uh, 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 to Jesus and not any of it to David. One, Jesus couldn't say this when he talks about his sins not being hidden from God, unless now it could be in the sense of when he was on the cross, all the sins of the world was exposed. Not his sins, but all the sins of the world are before God. It could be in that sense. Uh, and then when you think about other psalms, David talks about how individuals are against him and how he's innocent in this. But David here, I think, is reminding himself, not reminding God, but reminding himself, he says, my sins aren't hidden from you. I think this goes a long way for repentance. If we already know that God already knows, that should make repentance a little easier, shouldn't it? If we truly realize in our mind, we truly think in our mind, we truly are devoted and committed to the fact God knows it anyway. So what it comes down to us is, are we willing to give that up and willing to change? Um, because our sins are always uh, uh, before him. They're not hidden. Uh, notice, he says, my sins are not hidden from me. We may, uh, again, can I think in some ways spiritually remind, you know, kind of put this to Jesus of that humiliation on the cross, of, of, of all that that's on the cross and the reason for it, I think that displays more than anything uh, that the sins of the world are not hidden from God. But I think, uh, I think this applies to David uh, also. I think this uh, specifically, this is what David is dealing with. I'm, now, I'm not the end-all, end-all. We could, we could probably do some do some jumping to get to it uh, applying to Jesus as far as sin, but you can't apply his sin because he didn't have any. Um, but we all know that that all sin is exposed to God, but in that particular case, everybody's sin is exposed to God and man. It, it was there on the cross for all to see of, of him dying. Now, some didn't realize that's why it was, but we can see it now through, through God's word for the reason. Um, he said, let not those who seek me be confounded because of me. Um, David's concern was not only the effect that it had upon him, but especially the fact that it had upon people of God. The thought of, 
of people looking, looking at David's suffering, that could, that could be a stumbling block for believers, couldn't it? If I was to look and either thinking about becoming a Christian or, you know, I became a Christian and I'm, I'm trying to live my Christian life, but yet I look out and I see Christians suffering and I see the pain that they're having to go through, I see the, the distress that they're having to face, that might t- cause me to take a second look, would it you? That, that, that could be an issue for me. And I think David here is thinking about that, not only his actions, how it can affect those around him, but what's happening to him can affect those, those that are still are, are following God and they look at David and, you know, thinking, you know, I think sometimes we can be like Peter. I, I, I think we could be strong. We can say, yes, I'm going to do these things. But yet, when, when Peter actually seen Jesus being arrested, he's seeing there in the courtyard what he's having to go through, Peter denied him. Why do you think he denied him? What do you think was the real reason Peter denied Jesus then? He was afraid. Exactly. He, he was afraid. It, it finally became real to him. What could happen? Everything else was in theory, wouldn't it? Everything else was in future tense. Everything else was, I'm standing beside Jesus. I can take on the world. Now he's outside with the crowd seeing what's happening to Jesus and fear is taking over. Because of Jesus' suffering and what he's going through, maybe he's thinking, I don't want that to happen to me. I thought I did, but now that I'm faced with it, I don't know if I can. And... Uh, I think that can be a problem for us today. And, and here's where it, it comes. And, and I thought about this when I was, I was thinking about uh, when we go through suffering and when we studying parts of, of Peter about living in this dark world. I always think about uh, Peter and, and walking on the water, okay? And where Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. And, and the way I've always took that is, okay, Peter's faith wasn't as strong as he thought it was. But the more I think about it, I I, I think I've decided I'm going to think of it a little different way. You know, because Jesus said if we had faith of a mustard seed, how much faith is that? How how, how big is a mustard seed? It's tiny. So do you think Peter's problem was, it's not that Peter didn't have enough faith yet, it's that Peter didn't recognize the faith he had yet. And I'm, I'm starting to think that might have been more of the issue. Peter's faith was stronger than Peter thought it was. You know, and Jesus said, O ye of little faith. And, 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 it, and it makes me think, okay, Peter didn't have enough faith, but I, I, I'm kind of thinking it may think more toward Peter's attitude toward his faith. Peter thinks it's little. Peter is, is thinking it's not strong. Peter's, Peter could do more than Peter thought he was able to at that time. And, and I think we underestimate our faith a lot, don't we? Because of what we see other people go through. I don't know if I can face that. I don't know if I can go through that. Boy, I wouldn't want to face that. So I don't know, is this Christian life worth it? Is this Christian life worth the pain, worth the, worth the sorrow, worth, worth the suffering? And, and to, for us to come to that realization that it is, we have to look past that. We have to look over the suffering and see the results. We, we have to look over the, the, the pain that we, we're going to face and look for the reward that comes because of the pain. 
And, and I think that's what David was worried about is, is individuals seeing him go through that, not only maybe his sinful actions at times, but also the suffering that he faced. And maybe David at times, I may have thought that too. Here, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be this special thing to God, and look what I'm going through. Look what I'm facing. Look what I have to deal with. And I think there's a lot of things uh, that he had to deal with here when it comes to that. Uh, he says, shame has covered my face. Um, among the other problems caused by David's sin, he also had to deal with, with damaged relationships of, uh, of individuals. I mean, there, I think there's just a lot to this process that, that he had to face. He said, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. David uh, was not the... Uh, there's things that wouldn't just the... Because of David's actions, I think there's a lot of David's suffering because of his seal for God. Remember when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple courts at the beginning of his ministry? His disciples remembered this passage from Psalms, uh, uh, Psalm 69 and John 2 and 17. It says, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Um, David was happy to identify himself with God, counting it an honor to, to bear the disapproval uh, of individuals because of his, his, his desire and his commitment to God and his house, to God and, 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 and what all that represented. And, and I think David wore that as a badge of honor. And I think that caused a lot of the disapproval uh, that was against him. Uh, the reproaches of those who reproach have fallen on me. The Apostle Paul referenced uh, this in speaking of the sacrificial nature uh, of Jesus. Uh, he said in Romans 15 and 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Uh, then David goes on and he describes... Uh, his fasting became a reproach to him, the sackcloth on a garment. Uh, uh, it be he became a byword. He became a, a song of those that sat on the gate that, that mocked who David was. And all of this was because of, uh, of who he was and his devotion for God. That's where a lot of this reproach came from. He had individuals mocking him. He had individuals, uh, I mean, you think of uh, the sackcloth and, and the fasting and, and think about where did he take, uh, even in the battle of, of Goliath, uh, where did he take the sword to? The house of God, didn't he? You, th you start putting all this together of who David was. And, and an interesting thought of this, when, when he fought Goliath, Saul couldn't take any credit for that. Remember? He couldn't even join in that victory because David wouldn't even wear his armor. So David put everything to, in God's hands, didn't he? It's God who's going to deliver me from this giant. It's God who's going to do this. It wasn't, so you kind of look in the background, all these victories that, that David had, that, that he gave honor and glory to God. Saul couldn't take any, any credit whatsoever for any of that. He couldn't join in in any of that because he didn't do any of that. David gave God the glory. David didn't even take the glory himself. And so this devotion to, to God, I think, caused David... A, a lot of uh, distress. Let's go a little farther. I don't think we'll finish, but we'll go a little farther. Uh, where are we at? Verse 13. 
Um, he says, but as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me delivered for those who hate me. And out of the deep waters, let not the flood waters overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut its mouth on me. I think David is just reiterating where he feels like he's at. And I think he's pleading to God that God's going to deliver him out of that. Just like he did in Psalms 40. You brought me up out of the pit. You set me on the rock. I think that's what David is expecting here. What David is anticipating. What David is pleading to uh, to God. Because David did that many times. This is how I overcome this in the past because of God. This is how I'm going to do this in the future because of God. David did that when it comes to Goliath. He did that in other victories. And I think he's doing the same thing here. I'm in distress, but here's what I know God and what I'm asking God, what I'm pleading God for him to do the same thing when it comes to this. Verse 16, hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul. Redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. Once again, he's anticipating uh, what God's going to do, and he pleads for his compassion. Notice what he says here beginning at verse 19. You know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. and my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. David said, I can't find anybody who can understand what I'm going through. I can't find anybody that's going to give me comfort. Anybody that's going to take pity on me. And I think David is using a metaphor here. This is what I'm getting from them. I'm getting gall and sour wine. That, that's what I'm getting. That's, that's how bad it's got him. Remember what Jesus said about this uh he says uh in john 19 28 after this jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scriptures might be fulfilled said i thirst now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine put it on hosses and put it in his mouth um so you got david using this as a metaphor of of this is what it's come to this is where I'm at now. This is what uh, uh, is all that's left that's going to bring me comfort. And you've got Jesus fulfilling this in the sense of where this is where it's come to because of the sins of the world. This is what it's come to with his suffering. This is what it comes to the only comfort as the world has it is sour wine. Um, so you, you see this in a broader sense from David but you see it also how the, the depiction of, of suffering in the world is. When suffering comes, the only comfort, true comfort, that can come is, is from God. And it can come from no other. Uh, uh, we'll pick up there uh, next because there's a lot of other things that I think is, is interesting in this psalm that we can discuss.